I got two weeks that I wanted to just share left on this prophetic word, house of restoration. Um, Anybody have those uh, throat lozenges again? I forgot to bring a couple. If you've got one, I'm I'm having that thing in the middle of the night where your voice, where your throat starts itching and you like can't stop. And then we have a sick baby, and so every time I go, like he he starts to move. He's in our bed right now, and so so if, if anybody has one, I will take one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I could feel it starting to, you know, that little tickle. It's like, uh-oh, here it comes. There's nothing worse than being in, an, in like an event like, or a, a service or something like this, and you start getting that coughing fit, and you're like, Ugh, and you're trying to hold it in. It's like the worst <laughs> feeling. So especially if you're speaking, it's not good either. Um, anyway, where am I going with all this? All right, uh, so I want to share on this word, prophetic word, House of Restoration. Ben, two weeks ago, did a phenomenal job uh, setting this up. Today's message I'm calling, Light the Fire Again. Light the Fire Again, it, Restoration of the Heart. Next week, we're going to talk about the restoration of the church. The church has lost its place in society and in, in influence, and I believe the Lord wants to, to make us uh, an influence in the world again, so we're going to talk about that. But for those who are new, every year we ask the Holy Spirit, um, Lord, what are, you, what are you saying over 2022? What are you saying over the year? Give us some direction. And uh, what should we focus on as a church? And so uh, the words that the Lord gives us are both an individual. They're an individual word. They have a corporate fulfillment. What does that mean? When you individually take a hold of what God's saying over your year, and all of us do that Together, now we have this corporate anointing. So we talk about holiness. One of, the, one of the words for this year was holiness set apart. We got those words up there. Holiness set apart. When you begin to live that life, this place becomes a, a church that is set apart. You, you'll, you'll feel it. Uh, word manifest, um, that God was going to manifest. And really, without holiness, no one can see God. So it's, holiness is connected to manifest. Manifest means to reveal. God wanted to reveal himself. I don't know if anybody, we're nearing the end of the year, if anybody can say, I've had the Lord reveal himself to me in ways that he's never done before this year. Anybody want to say that? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. Uh, believer to disciple. We're, we're growing in maturity. So we started um, Sunday school. I just wanted to make a quick, I've, I've noticed the uh, we we started off really exciting the first six weeks and then we've just yeah, yeah. there's a few faithful left so we're going to change that that up we're going to continue to do Sunday school but we're going to do it in six week increments all right so we'll do a fall six week or a, uh, fall six weeks and we'll do spring six weeks so we'll just hit it hard we'll have some new classes next year but I wanted to ask has anybody in here been to all eleven weeks of Sunday school raise your hand. Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Okay. All right. Here we go. We got, we got cards here. You work on the ta- you get work on the staff here, so you can't get anything. You, I pay you. Who, who else? Anybody else? Fred. Faithful Fred. Come on. We got some Starbucks cards. Anybody else? Anybody else raise your hand? No, 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 no. Okay. Faithful few. Somebody else? Oh, Mitch. Both of you? Okay, you can't take credit. You just you missed one. Oh. Enjoy Starbucks on us. So, um, 
Yeah, it's fun. And then the last one is house of restoration. This, uh, this word restoration is a neat word because um, it's the action of returning something to its former state. Um, and, and the phrase that I've used a lot uh, this year when it comes to restoration is God wants to restore you to the place as though what happened to you never happened to you. Never happened to you. Um, John, can you give me just a little bit more on my voice here so I don't have to talk so loud? Now, this doesn't mean that everything in the natural will be returned to you, okay? We've got to be clear about that. Uh, We live in a world of sin. We live in a world of death. The world's a tough place. We are hurt by people. People hurt us. We're rejected. We make mistakes. We sin. We make mistakes, and we mess up our own lives, right? Some things can't be restored in the natural. and we, It's hard to hear that sometimes, but it's the truth. If you lose a spouse or a loved one, I mean, that can't be replaced in the natural. We're going to get to what, what God really was meaning with this, this word restoration. Some marriages end in divorce, and the two people go and find new people. Well, that marriage, that original marriage can't be restored. Uh, sometimes our sins have consequences. We lose opportunities we lose time we lose relationships of our own sins sometimes those relationships can't be restored uh that and i just want to say it doesn't mean we don't fight for those things god does restore marriages he does restore relationships he does restore dreams he does restore businesses so let's not hear that we have to hear from the lord on that but there's something actually more important that he wants to restore than just our earthly circumstances and it's our heart it's a heart. Well, you might think, well, man, that's not important, Jeff. I want my circumstances to change. <laughs> my heart's fine. Okay, my heart's fine. But change, change it, fix it, Jesus. But Jesus said there's going to be problems. There's going to be hardship in this life. But, but take heart. I want to read John 16, 3, 3, uh, 31. Jesus answered them and said, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. And will leave me alone, yet I am not alone. He's not alone. For the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, he's saying this hours before being arrested, beaten, crucified. He knew it was all coming. He knew it was going to happen. He knew it was coming for his disciples, yet he offered them peace. And and do you see the word he uses? May have peace. Okay, it's not a guarantee for every believer, but it's available to every believer. Uh, This peace is a supernatural power that is available to us in spite of our circumstances. We should know as a Christian, we are not immune to problems. (laughs) But God is saying, I've given you the ability to supernaturally transcend that problem. Now, I will say, the closer you get with Jesus, a lot of the self-inflicted wounds start to get a little bit better. We mess up a lot of our own stuff. When you start hearing the Holy Spirit, he'll say, hey, don't do that. Don't talk to that person. Don't go there. That's not going to be good for you. But we're talking about just life. You see, we all start... Like little JJ, my, my son. We all start off like that little JJ. I should have had a picture of him because he's the cutest thing. But uh, <laughs> we all start like JJ, right? Innocent and free, right? We're, 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 we, we start peaceful. 
joyful. We're not worrying about tomorrow. I love when I talk to my son, Nathan, I'm like, what's your plans today? And he goes, I don't know. I'm like, what are you thinking about tomorrow? I don't know. It's like, man, isn't that such a peaceful thing? Like, I'm not really worried, but that's what God called us to, doesn't he? Don't worry about tomorrow. We're supposed to be like a little child. We start out like that, but then we get hurt. We have disappointment. We lose lost opportunities. We, we have regrets. Sin hardens us. Sin changes us. Our innocence is robbed. Our joy is robbed. You ever notice people at the end of their lives, they're either one or two ways, right? They're either really bitter or they're really fun. <laughs> at the end of their lives, it's like, it's your one, pick one or two. So the restoration that God gives us is not necessarily a focus on the eternal circumstances, though sometimes those things do change. But it is a restoration of the heart before the heartbreak. It's a restoration before the wounds, before the scars. So we we don't often consciously understand all of the different things that have impacted us through our lives. We just kind of know they've changed us, don't we? We know that the things we've gone through have changed us. We can't maybe point to every one of them. You might recognize I don't smile as as much as I used to smile. I don't belly laugh like I used to belly laugh. Maybe I'm not as trusting with people like I used to trust people. I'm, I'm, I'm real cautious. Maybe you're worried or concerned about the future a lot. You're always thinking about it. You didn't used to do that, but you were always worried. Or maybe you don't have time for conversations. People, you're just so busy you don't have time for people. And so Romans 14 tells us, and this is a scripture that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I, I just, it, it's just kind of percolating in my spirit. Um, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about the natural, but of righteousness. That's right standing before God, and it's living righteously. Peace, supernatural peace, and joy. Joy is your strength in who? Holy Spirit, where the kingdom of God is and exists, and the, the Bible says we're supposed to pray. What's the, what's the prayer that Jesus says? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in my life. You're saying, I want the kingdom of God, the supernatural peace, the supernatural joy, the righteousness of God. I want that to be in my world I'm gonna, the Lord can transcend the natural and bring his heavenly world into our world. And uh, it's like nothing can touch us, no matter what you're going through. I mean, think about Jesus for a second. I mean, if anybody in the world had a reason to be stressed out about life, it was Jesus. He's got three years to change the world, to save the world. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. I got three years to save the world. Then I'm dealing with these 12 guys. And they're my hope. And I'm trying to instill everything into them. Literally, the weight of the world is on his shoulders. He's got half of the people who hate him. They're constantly trying to trick him and and trap him into his words. Then he's got in the back of his mind, he knew at the beginning, I don't know what point he knew, but he knew at the beginning... I'm about, to, I'm about to have one of the most gruesome, horrific deaths in three years. That's the landscape that's going on in his mind. He's human. That's the landscape that's going on in his mind. Yet he knows how to sleep in the boat when the disciples are freaking out and they're going. They literally said, we think we're going to die. 
and he's down there sleeping in the boat. He pulls away from the crowds at times to just rest and get away. Think about it. If you're thinking, I've only got three years to do this, I mean, you're going to be like, I'm going to give everything. I'm going to spend everything. Yet he pulls away at the crowd. Many times he doesn't give himself. Or where'd Jesus go? I don't know. He went to pray somewhere. He lives a life of peace under the most impossible circumstances. And it says in Hebrews, talking about Jesus, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, this is talking about Jesus, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. What this tells us is Jesus was the most joyful person and most peaceful person that has ever walked the planet. And he has all that in the back of his mind. And he says, this is what I offer you. I'm giving it to you. Peace. Don't, that's when he's saying, I've overcome the world. You don't have to live like this. So we get promise after promise after res- of restoration. I just want to read you a couple of these scriptures. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, the great army which I sent among you. Jeremiah 30.17, for I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. 1 Peter 5, and after you have suffered a while, the God of all grace, who is called to his eternal Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 23, we love this one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in past... I missed that one. Uh, I was reading up there. He restores my soul... He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and emotions. Restores. What is the word restore? Go back to the original, the original place. He restores that. Do you believe that? He can restore your innocence. He can restore your hurt. So today I want to talk about the restoration of the heart. Light the fire again. So every two years, there's a Winter Olympics. Who's a big winner? Uh, or, or winner in, every two years, there's a winner, and then every two years, there's a, or every four years, sorry, but you know what I'm saying. Every two years, there's Olympics, winter and summer. Who's the big Olympic buffs here? Likes, likes watching the Olympics. I'm kind of, I'm okay. You do summer, all right. So in 1936, the Berlin Games started the Olympic torch relay in which they, they start in Olympia, Greece, and they have a relay that takes that all the way to the new place, whatever, wherever they're going to be for, the, for that year, and um, they light the torch. And it's, and it's interesting because the fl- flame is carried to the final de- de- destination, I mean, usually by runners on foot. We got a couple pictures there of how they, they there's one way they carry it by boat. Uh, other modes of transportation, they, 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 there's actually flame. It has to stay burned or lit. So they have it like in some kind of deal there on the plane. What, 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 they've, had, they've done it underwater. And so they finally get, they take this thing all the way to the, um, to the place that it's going to be. And so here's one of the ones I always like. This, this is a neat part. Let's play this video real quick. Turn that up. I right, start that over because I wanted that. Witnessed by an honor guard, a fine gentleman. 
Turn after tra is and is and is and gentlemen, after traveling 12,800 miles, the Olympic torch is about to enter the stadium. Witnessed by an honor guard of 500 of the men and women who built the Olympic Park. Mesdames et messieurs, la flamme olympique. Ladies and gentlemen, the Olympic flame. Very right. So many people who contributed should be represented to form the Guard of Honor. Mr. Steve Redgrave makes his way into the center of the stadium. That's good. So I didn't know. Did you know about that? I didn't know that they had done that. Twelve thousand miles. This is the London Olympics, and um, but this was all based. They started this back up in 1936 in Germany, but this was all based uh, upon what they understood that happened in 776 BC in ancient Greece, and they had a torch relay, and in the torch relay. Thank you. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I've got a lot going on here. Uh, in the torch relay, they would, they would have this relay. I don't know how long it was, but they, they would relay one, uh, a person with a torch, and they passed it to the next. And the, per, the, first, the, the person who won was not the first person who passed the finish line. The person who won was the first team who fat, passed the finish line still with their torch lit. I mean, this has some parallels for us. I don't want to finish this life, thousands and thousands of miles that we trek through life, broken and bruised, with no life, no passion, no heart, no love for people. I want to finish with my flame burning bright for Jesus. And this is the whole point of restoration, because what's happened is, the junk that we go through seems to try, to try to sniff out the lamp and the light. And it's like, yeah, we crossed the finish line, but man, we have, we're burning with no passion. we got nothing left. God wants to restore that in us. You know, I've been married 19 years. Uh, there, look at that. Oh, man, look at that. We were, that, was, that was like three months we've been married. Sarah looks the same. I look old, younger. I look older now. Um, but my love for Sarah is stronger now than it was 19 years ago. Right? Those who've been married long, you can attest to that. Now, I mean, I don't hold her hand in my, and, and the sparks start flying, you know, when I hold her hand now after 19 years. I was thinking about, yeah, somebody, what? That doesn't happen to you? Sometimes it does. You like that? Sometimes I got up high there. Um, but I was thinking it was New Year's Eve. I think it was 2002, Sarah. Correct me if I'm wrong, because it was New Year's Eve, and we were having an all-night church uh, you know, lock-in. I was a youth leader at the time. And I had, Sarah had 
was in Waco at Baylor, but her, me and uh, Kathy, her mom, were on the same staff, she, school, and we had a Christian school at the church, and we were on the same staff. And so I, she had been, had visited a couple times, but I had just barely kind of seen her from far away. And so I remember on uh, New Year's Eve, we were having this party, and I knew she was in town. And so I told my youth pastor, his wife, who had, was like her babysitter growing up or whatever. And so I said, why don't you call and ask Sarah Watts to come to this event? So she calls her up, and uh, we did all the bowling and the, you know, the ice skating. And, you know, we, we would... On the ice skating, you know, you're always, you're kind of going and you accidentally bump into one another because you're getting a little close. And then as you bump in, you're my whole guts. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That was a great feeling. I'm sorry, Sarah. It doesn't happen as much like it used to. But that hasn't changed my love. My love's deeper, it's richer. We've been through stuff. It's stronger now. It's not based on how I feel today or it's not based upon how I feel tomorrow. It's based on what is real. We're married. We are committed to one another. And that commitment brings safety. It brings contentment. We know neither one of us are going anywhere. We'll be here for one another. And it's lots and lots and lots of hours that have taken to build that. And one of the things that drives me crazy... Don't ever say this to somebody, and if you have, I forgive you. Don't ever say to somebody, Christians will, will find somebody who's just given their life to God, and they're on fire for Jesus, and they go, there, there, that, that'll dwindle over time. You won't be so crazy after a while. And I'm like, what? No. Maybe mature, hopefully, but it should get stronger and richer and more exciting Our love for him should produce a resolve in us. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. I'm here forever. I'm here for the long haul. I'm not letting my love grow cold. I'm not letting it grow grow stale. I'm not going to lose the flame. So David said in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation, and behold me with a willing spirit. God wants to restore that passion and that excitement that we had when it all happened in the very beginning. He wants to restore your softness, your innocence, your joy, your peace. And let me just say this right now. We are not sold out to a set of Christian ideas that we are good to live by. That's not what we live our life for. We're not giving our life for an ideology. We're not giving or laying down our life for a set of principles. You know what we're laying down our life down for? A person. A relationship. No other religion can give you that. It's because there's no other religion that's true. We give our life to a person, and that's Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit which lives and resides inside of each believer. I want to just lay something out right now because the Holy Spirit is your closest friend. He is now and will be for eternity. He is closer to you than your spouse. 
He is closer to you than your children. He is closer to you than your best friend. He knows what you're thinking before you think it. He knows your motives. He knows the future. He feels what you feel inside that you don't tell anybody else. He knows what, that you're, when you're putting on a front. He knows when you're not being real. He knows the intricacies of your body. When things are not going correctly, when things are not happening correctly in your body, the cells are not working, he knows what's going on. He knows the mask you wear. He knows the pain that you've endured. He knows the, the tears. He's seen it. The Bible says he counts. He puts every tear in, in, in a bottle. He knows everything you've endured. He knows your thoughts, your ideas, your longings, your dreams, your visions, your goals, your loves, your passions. He protects you from making bad mistakes. He's there to pick you up when you fall. He can tell you where to go to college. He can tell you who to trust. He can tell you what business deal to make, who to marry, what job to take, how to raise your kids, how to love your spouse. He is your best, most intimate friend in the world. He's holy. He's perfect, he's gentle, he's loving, he's forgiving, he's wonderful, he's beautiful, he's immeasurable. Do we treat him that way? Do we treat him like the most treasured relationship that we have? I mean, the truth is, if we treated our spouse sometimes the way we treat the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be married very long. Guys, if you did all the talking in your marriage and you never listened and you gave a, 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 a whole list of things of demands, you, that's not going to go well with you. If you went days ignoring your wife in the same home, passing her by, things are not going to go well with you. If you're around certain people and you act like you're not married anymore... And you start flirting with other girls and you're a little embarrassed to know, well, let's not talk about her at home. That's not going to go well with you. If you don't like her family, it's not going to go well with you. You get the idea. But this is what we do with the Holy Spirit. We talk, but we don't listen. We ignore him for days on end. Certain places we go, we're a little embarrassed of him. Let's not talk about him. We don't treat his family, the body of Christ, with love and respect and honor. He is the most important person in our lives. Think about that. See, here's six clues that you need to restore and renew your relationship with, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. Here, here, listen to him here. Number one, you don't spend much time with him reading your word, praying, or worshiping. When you find people who give their heart to Jesus for the first time, you find them devouring the word. They're, they want to be, be around people. They want to be around the church. They, wanna, they devour the word. They want to read. When they really have a, a, a relationship with Christ, it's, it's, they just want to be with him. Lord, to speak. I'm listening. You know, one of the things that I, I think is really important, every night before I go to bed, I say, Holy Spirit, speak to me tonight. How are you doing? I wake up in the morning and I say, Holy Spirit, good morning. How are you doing? Talk to me today. It's a relationship. Number two, you don't bring him the most important decisions anymore. You know, we got that, there's that time of year um, where they have those funny car commercials where, where the wife, you know, the husband 
wakes up in the morning on Christmas Day, and you know there's a, a, a key underneath the, the underneath the tree, and they go out, and it's like, oh, it's a new ninety thousand dollar Lexus. There's this funny SNL skit. I don't go watch it because I don't. I haven't seen it in a while. It's probably bad. But, it, but th- there's this one little spot that I have seen. I haven't seen it in a while. But it, I just remember he did that. He gave that to his wife, and his wife walked out there and go, "Are you kidding me? You just bought a Lexus and you didn't talk to me about this? This is the most important. This this is a really important decision. Are you crazy?" And you know they're making fun of the whole thing. Think about that, though. We, we bring, hopefully, you bring the most important decisions about life to, to somebody, your spouse. I mean, when you buy a car, how many people do you talk to when you're talking about buying a car? You probably talk to 10 people about buying a car. We wouldn't do that with our spouse, but yet we do it all the time with the Holy Spirit, where we're going to go move somewhere, where we're going to, you know, what job we're going to take who we're going to marry, a big purchase, a house. We, don't, we just ignore him. We don't even talk to him about these important decisions. He's the most important relationship in your life, and you don't even bring him the most important decisions in your life. I know this is a little hard here. <laughs> Number three, you don't crave being with his people anymore. The church, the brothers and sisters. The Bible says that Jesus gave himself his life for the church. And this is a key. When you start to, the more you love Jesus, the more you love people, and the more you want to be around his bride. That's a key. Number four, you've lost your burden for the lost and the desire to see them saved. You don't cry over the lost. You don't cry over hurting people anymore. Number five, you live in unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin, now we all sin, it's part of life, we all sin, but unrepentant sin is sin, I just continue to do the thing, I know I'm hurting the heart of God, but I just continue to do it over and over and over and God, over again. John says you can't love God and continue to sin like that. Number six, you're unkind to people. You're short with them, you have no mercy, you have no forgiveness. These aren't all the signs, but these are six. God wants to restore a vibrant relationship with him, and these things are part of that. So out of our relationship with God comes all of the good things in life. Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides neither can you unless you abide in me. You cannot bear fruit unless you are in relationship with Jesus. And what is the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things. So in Revelation, we see a church that's lost its way. I want to read that Revelation 2. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. This is Jesus talking to the church. He met seven letters of the church. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Here we see something really interesting. 
God is commending them. He's commending them for, for their hard stance against evil. He's commending. He's like, he's like, man, great job. Good job. You're standing against this. These are people who know right and wrong. That means they know God's word. They, they have God's word. They're, they're taking a hard stance and go, man, this is wrong. That's wrong. But is it possible that we can be right but have no love? You see, in the church in America, we can stand against all the issues of the day. And we should. We can, we can be against the exploitation of our, of our children right now and the, and the whole transgender ideology that's tearing apart our, our, the, the identity of our children. We should stand against those things. We should stand up for traditional marriage and, and against the homosexual agenda that's trying to break down the family unit. We should stand up against the murder of unborn babies and have righteous indignation. We can have all of those hard things but still not love Jesus with all our hearts. We can know God's word in and out and still not love God with all our hearts. You want to know how to change the world? Start with us. Let the fire of Jesus burn in you. And let it spread to your spouse. Let it spread to your kids. Let it spread to your family, your friends. Policy changes in the United States are all indicative of the heart. We change our hearts, the policies will change. John Wesley said, I'm going to set myself on fire and people will come from miles around to watch me burn. It's the gospel. It's the only thing that really changes people from the inside out. We can train them and teach them and that's all good stuff, but it's the gospel. What do we do? Well, Jesus tells us in the passage what to do. Go back and do the things you did before. Go back to the beginning. Remember Ben's illustration a couple weeks ago about the, trying to restore the house? you got to go back to the beginning, to the guts, and get down and go, what's going on behind these walls? What's really happening here? You go back to the beginning when you devoured the Word of God, when you spent time with Him, when you spent time with His people. I love K- Carolyn down here. She's the queen of the one-liners, if you haven't learned that. She's the queen of the one-liners. And she said this one statement to me. People want to feel better more than they want to be better. They want to feel better more than they want to be better. And that's the whole crux of this restoration thing. As soon as the guilt is gone, as soon as the crisis is over, as soon as the kid stops acting up or whatever it is, Whatever the heartbreak starts healing up. But I see this all, all the time. When marriage is in crisis, when our kids are out of control, when people fall into sin and get caught, whatever it is, most of the time the question is not how do I fix it, or most of the time the question is how do I fix it, but the question really should be how did I get here? How did I get here? What we want is a quick fix. Let's just fix this. What, what do I got to do? My kid's out of control. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? What we really should be asking, how do we get here? How did I get here? How did I lose my my passion for God and start to compromise like I did? How did I get so cold and and indifferent? How did we start growing apart in our marriage? How did my sweet little kid get so angry? Where, Where did this all come from? 
Where, where's the joy and the peace? Where, where, what was that moment that happened? And the answer is always to go back to the beginning. Go back to the foundation. This is part of restoration. Where was the place I got hurt? Where was the place I began to slip? Where was that place where things began to change? You got to ignite your first love for Jesus and you got to go back to the beginning to find out where it went wrong. We, I think we understand this in re- relationship terms. How do I rekindle my romance with my wife? What do we do? We go on dates. We talk more. I buy her presents. <laughs> I go out of my way to see her. All the things that I did when I first started dating. When the romance was, was kindled, I go back and I do those things again. Remember, we're in a relationship with Jesus We're not trying to do more things. We're trying to love him more. So it's about relationship. You got to keep going back. Stop getting caught up. Well, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. No, it's about relationship. I got to go back to the beginning and rekindle my relationship and my love for Jesus. And here's the problem. We get stuck between the gap between feelings and actions. We want feelings to produce actions. But let me tell you, really, it works the other way around. Our actions produce our feelings. When I go out on a date with my wife, and it's been a while, unfortunately. I'm sorry, babe. We have a one-year-old. It's been tough. We will start that again. But when I go out on a date with my wife after a hard day, I may not feel like it. But we put it on the calendar. But when I get there and I begin to do the action, my heart begins to rekindle my love for my wife. When I buy things for her for for her birthday or Christmas or Valentine's Day, I'm not always gushing with feelings in the Kroger line or the Walmart line going, oh, man, oh, it feels so good. I'm getting this for her. But when I begin to hand it to her on that Christmas day, I know I've thought about it. And when I hand it to her, I, I recognize my love for her begins to kindle again. It's like, oh, man, I just love her. It's no different with the Holy Spirit. He's a spiritual being that we can have a relationship with. He's not a human being, but he's a spiritual being. See, you read your Bible not always because you feel it, but because you know what it produces in you when you read it. You don't always feel like praying, but you know what it produces. You don't always feel like worshiping, you, but you know when you do it as a sacrifice of praise, you know what it produces inside of you. You don't always feel like coming to church and being around other believers. Not, it's because, man, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like getting up, up this morning. But when you make it a priority, I'm telling you, whoever comes to church and then never leaves and goes, man, I feel better and different today. We always do. We have to remember that. It's not about what I feel. It's about the action produces the feelings. It's about what's right for my life to produce the things that I want to produce. And you see, a vibrant relationship, and I'm coming to close. I'm going to have the the worship team. A vibrant relationship with Jesus is the only thing that when you put him first, everything else works out and has meaning. Is that me? I don't know who that is. Try putting your kids first over your spouse and see how well that goes. I don't. Do I need to move over to something else? Try putting your job first over your family. See how well that goes. We've all done it. 
But try putting Jesus first over your spouse, your family, your career, and watch how the, your entire world grows. Watch how the peace and the joy fill your life. It's a relationship that takes work and effort. But Jesus says, if you will abide in me, you will produce good things out of your life. You want to get back to that life? Go back and do the things you did at first. So practically speaking, what does it mean to return to your first love? Three quick points. They really all mean the same. They're really all pointing to the same thing, but I'm going to say them a little differently. Number one means you are crucified with Christ. Return to your first love means you're crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I lay myself down. I love this uh, in Delighting in God, A.W. Tozer. I was reading this the other day. It says, a young man came to an old saint and asked him, What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? After thinking for a moment, the old saint said, well, to be crucified means three things. First, the man who's crucified is facing in only one direction. You cannot turn around to see what's going on behind you. You stop looking back and look straight ahead. The man on the cross is looking in only one direction, and the direction is God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, biblical revelation, angels and edifying of the church, and the direction of sanctification and the spirit-filled life. And the old man thought for a moment, he said, one, one thing more about a man on the cross is he's not going back. The man going to die on the cross does not say to his wife, goodbye, honey, I will be shortly back in five minutes. No, he's not coming back. He's dying. When you go out to die on the cross, you say goodbye to your friends, you kiss your friends, you goodbye, you are not coming back. A.W. Tozer says, and I think if we teach more of this and stop trying to make the Christian life so easy that is contemptible, we would have more converts that would last. Get a man to know he's joining Christ and it is finished as far as this world is concerned and he's not going back. He has to take a cross on the shoulder. Another thing that the man about the man on the cross said to the man, he has no further plans on his own. Someone else has made his plans for him. On the way up to the hill, he does not see a friend and say, hey, Henry, next Saturday afternoon we'll be going fishing by the lake. He's not going fishing He's finished. He's going out to die. He has no plans at all. We're busy beaver Christians with all our plans, even though some plans are done in the name of the Lord. In evangelical Christianity, they are as carnal as goats. It depends on who's making your plans for you. It's beautiful to say I'm crucified with Christ and know that Christ is making your plans. 20 minutes on your knees in silence before God will will, will sometimes teach you more than you can learn out of books and teach you more than you can learn even in the church. God will give you your plans and lay them before you. We would cut down our time of debating and discussing if we would spend more time waiting on God. Returning your first love means I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live. I turn my back on everything else. Number two, all other loves take a back seat, become second place in our lives. If anything gets too important to me, I have to reevaluate whether that can stay in my life at all. My job, my career, my hobby, my sports, money, whatever it is. It could even be family. I'm not saying you can't get rid of them, but you might have to reevaluate. 
What am I doing to put them first and not realize that I've actually taken Jesus off the throne of my life and I've put my family up there? Number three, your life becomes about what he's about. His desires, his plans, his goals for your life. You know, what's more, most important to God? People are. You care about people. What else is most important to God? His church. His kingdom. So your life becomes about the kingdom of God in every situation. I'm not, am I saying you live 24-7 at church? No, you go about your life. You do the things that you, God's called you to do. But you have in the back of your mind, I have a mission and a plan. My, my mission and my plan is to further the kingdom of God. Everything I do is about advancing God's kingdom. So as I finish, I just, I want to share, as I was praying about this, I felt like there was a big hole I was seeing in the body of Christ. I've seen it everywhere. It's, it's kind of an epidemic when it comes to loving God, and it's godly men leading in their love for Jesus. Godly men who are on fire, burning bright the passion for Jesus. I see men leading in their jobs and their finances and taking care of their families. That's really good stuff. I see men leading and teaching about morality and husbands teaching about morality to their kids. That's all really good stuff. I see men teaching about life skills. That's all really good. Teaching about sports. I see them leading in all these areas. But the most important thing that any human being can do is have a relationship with Jesus And the most important relationship in every person, every human being's life is the relationship with their maker. Are you leading in that way, men? I'm thankful for godly women. I'm so thankful for godly women. But praying is not just a woman thing. Reading your Bible is not a woman thing only. Being expressive in worship is not a woman thing only. Coming to church is not a woman thing only. I, and I just, I, my, my heart is burdened for it because I just see so many families and I'm seeing, I see the wife, and, I, and it's not just here but everywhere. I see the wife dragging the husband to church, dragging him, saying, come on, come on, will you be the spiritual leader? I'm just de- begging you, will you lead in your love for Jesus? Please. And I really feel the heart of the Holy Spirit saying this morning, come on, men, it's time to step up. We don't need the women, women, our wives to be pushing us to love Jesus. We need to be the ones taking the lead and saying, we're going to church today. We're gonna re-. They need to see you reading your Bible. They need to see you praying. They need to see you in faith. They need to see you worshiping. They need to see you being the leader in their homes in their love and their passion for Jesus. And let me just tell you, if you find any family that you love and you go, man, that family loves Jesus. You will always find a godly husband who is leading their family. I'm not here to beat up, but it's because I've got my own stuff here to talk to. I'm talking to myself. But it's a cry to say, men of God, come on, let's change a generation. All it takes just being passionate for Jesus and it's about a relationship it doesn't happen with just at the altar it's that's a starts there but it happens every day 
We overestimate what we can get done in one day, but we really underestimate what we can do in many days. And it's just a non, it's just a daily plan. I'm getting up. I'm spending time with the Lord. I'm getting up. I'm reading my Bible. I'm getting up. We're, we're going to church. We're being apart because what I'm trying to do is I'm, I, as a dad, as a husband, I'm actually setting the stage. I'm setting, the, I'm setting my, my family to be a place of worship. And my kids are going to see this. And the, the stats are through the roof for men when they step up. The kids follow. I know this is a little hard. I'm not trying to beat up on anybody. I always feel scared about doing that. I don't want to beat up on anybody. But I do think we need to, we need to push a little bit. So let's stand up as we close here. Can we just close our eyes for just a moment? Nothing spiritual about that other than just to give you a little bit of focus with you and the Lord. Before I go any further, I've been talking about a relationship with God, but the only way you can have a relationship with, with God is you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You accept that He died on the cross for your sins, that He rose again, and you ask Him to come live in your life and you surrender your life to Christ. And I just want to make sure... Before we move on, is there anybody in this place, nobody looking around, but just will say, I have never asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life, and I would like to today. Will you just lift up your hands? Anybody in this room? Anybody in this room? Okay. So I'm not sure how to end this, but other than to say... Lord Jesus, can we just in our own words just say, Lord, I just return to my first love. Can I just have the team just begin to worship here? I just I just want you in your own words just to do your own in your own time with the Lord. If you need to come down to the altar, you can do that too. Just say, Lord, I return to my first love. I return to my first love, Jesus. Come on, your own words. Just, 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 begin, to, just begin to talk to Him. Just, just begin to talk to Him. Lord, I'm sorry. <clears throat> repent for, for, for being far away. Lord, I, I return back. Lord, I repent, Lord, for, for my hard heart. I repent, Lord, for, for getting just for, for not seeking you, Lord. I repent, Lord, for not leading my home. Come on, dads. Come on, you need to just say, Lord, I'm ready to step forward in my calling. Don't be afraid. The Lord knows how to teach you how to be a dad. Some of you haven't had dads, and you're like, I don't know how to lead that way. And the Lord says, I'll be your father. I'll take care of you. I'll show you the ropes. I'll show you how to lead your family. Come on, dads. You just, just, I just really feel a men of God here say, come on, we make a commitment. Lord, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going all in, Lord. I'm stepping into this whole thing, Father, Lord. Restore our relationship. Restore the joy of my salvation, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we worship you. We worship you, Lord.
Let's just sing that. Holy are you, Lord. Holy are you, Lord. Holy are you, Lord. The mighty seated on the throne. Seated on the throne in glory. High and lifted up. And His presence fills the temple and we worship you. Oh, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord, holy are you, Lord, I just, Lord, my heart is not to bring condemnation here, but Lord, to bring conviction. That's not my job, but the Holy Spirit's job to convict us, Lord, and call us deeper into a relationship with you, Father. Lord, we want to know you, Father, like you know us, Lord. You are our most intimate friend, Lord. Lord, show us what that looks like, Jesus. Show, show us what it looks like to know you personally, God, to know, to hear your voice, Lord, and to be, and to just can't wait to talk to you, can't wait to spend time with you, Father. Lord, I pray just put a hunger and a thirst in this church, Lord, for the, for, for that relationship, Lord. The longing that you have for us, Lord, I pray we would begin to have that same longing for you, Lord, to be with you, to love you, to cry out to you, Lord, to spend time, Lord, to, 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 to devour your word, Lord. And so, Lord, we just give our hearts to you. We give our hearts. So even, Lord, some of us may not even feel it. Lord, I don't feel like it, Lord. That doesn't matter what we feel, God. What we do is we just make a step forward. And we say, Lord, I'm going I'm, I'm to get up earlier this, this week. And I'm going to start spending time with Jesus. I'm going to get up earlier this week. I'm going I'm to focus on some things this week, Lord. And we just give you thanks and we give you praise, Lord, for your spirit that's in this place, Lord. And we just, I just bless every person in this room, Lord, that this week is an amazing week, that the power of God go with them, Lord. Speak to them through all throughout the week, Lord. I pray manifest, reveal yourself to them all throughout the week, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.